thank you for all your support, people. We're going to be talking about giving today. Yay! Last week, you got to hear about death. <laughs> this week, giving. And we make no apology for it because it's in the Word. And actually, it's for your good that we share this word together. Anyway, we as a church family, if you didn't already know, and a special welcome to those who are joining for the baptism service and for those online. We've been working through a letter in the book of the Bible, and it's called 1 Corinthians. It's the first letter. And uh, throughout the letter, what we've realized is this letter is a letter of correction and direction. And uh, what we'll find out is in, in Corinth at the time, there was a what was happening in the church was that a lot of the culture of the world was impacting and infiltrating the church family rather than the power in love, the self-transforming kind of power of Jesus impacting people and transforming their lives from the inside out. What was really happening was they were being transformed by the outside in. And so in Corinth, in the Corinthian church, there was a lot of ego, self-servingness, you know, self-selfishness, bad attitudes, wrong attitudes, and that meant there was a lot of division, divisiveness going on in the church. And so Paul writes his letter to basically correct them by sharing again what they already know, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and, and really the takeaway comment is follow Christ, or as Paul puts it, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I, I understand as we come to chapter 16, it opens up about giving. And really what I want to say, rather than just simply focusing on finances, the, the topic and the title of my message today is to give like Jesus, okay? To give like Jesus. If we are to follow Jesus, if we are to follow Christ, we have to give like Christ. And that's an important thing for us in Wellspring Church family. We want to obey all God's got for us, even though at times it can be uncomfortable. And I know talking about money and finances particularly can be uh, of a bit of a discomfort for us. But I, I also wonder and offer to you, maybe we find it hard to talk about money because of the culture of the world rather than what God would have us in our attitude in the way we communicate about money. So I just want to offer that to you. So if you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and it will also come up on the screens also. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and this is what Paul the Apostle says to the church of Corinth. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatians churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it, it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. 
I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. We're just going to stop there. How interesting is it that Paul realizes there's an open door and an opportunity for him, but he has to also acknowledge there's opposition. Just want to say at this point, just because you're facing opposition doesn't mean there isn't an open door for you to walk through. Okay, the Lord presents us with many opportunities, but a lot of the time we don't see them because we see the opposition. See the Lord in the opportunity rather than the opposition. Let's keep going. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Isn't it interesting? In the book of, uh, in this letter, there are people in their divisiveness saying, we love Apollos, we're not listening to you, Paul, we're not listening to Peter. (laughs) Apollos is too busy for them because he's got an opportunity elsewhere. It just shows the divisiveness and the brokenness of a church. And hey, We're not a perfect church either. We need God's grace. And actually, we are working towards following Jesus. Whatever journey we're on, we want to follow Jesus, okay? Follow people as they follow Christ. And finally, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. That's where we're going to stop. When I was a student, which was over 10 years ago, (laughs) I know some of you don't believe me, but it it was, and um, we had this opportunity because I was living up north, or, well, it was the Midlands, apparently, but to me, it was very far north, and uh, I would visit different churches because I was kind of working out which was going to be my family church or the church I'd serve at, and they obviously, as part of their worship service, just like we will later on, they took up an offering. And so I was there, and I may not have been working. I worked during the holidays, but my parents, my lovely parents, gave me money each term. And uh, the offering came up, and it was an opportunity to give. And I realized, I felt like, yeah, I really want to give. And then immediately, whilst this was happening, I felt, oh, I really want to give, but I'd rather give to my church back in Watford. I'd rather give to my home church. And so I suddenly came up with the idea, tell you what, I won't give any money now. I'll wait till half term. Hopefully I'll still have some money left over by half term. And um, when I come back for reading week, I will, uh, which is basically just a week off, um, I will put the money in the offering here. And I realized I had the wrong attitude. I had the wrong attitude. And God, in this moment, he began a conversation with me. And during the offering song, as the basket was being passed around, I felt the Lord kind of drop into my heart and my spirit, say, but who are you giving to, David? And I realized I'm giving to Jesus. I'm giving to Christ. And in fact, this was a long, it didn't all download in this moment, but this was part of a new thinking, reversing, changing my attitude, where I realized not only am I giving to Christ, not only am I giving to Jesus, I'm giving to his church, not mine. And yes, we all have, if, if you've joined a, a church, you have a personal church family. But I realized I was giving into his church, the church that he died and rose again for. 
he gave his whole life for. And here I am getting to give unto Christ and following Christ's example, give unto the church. There was an attitude change going on. And uh, I can't even remember. I think I must have, because I preached on it before as an offering given call. I gave money then, realizing God was doing something new in me and my perspective of how to give. Now, in the text here, in verses 1 to 4, we realize that Paul is suggesting to the church to save up money to give to a church, the church in Jerusalem. And he wasn't just doing it with Corinth or in Greece. So all over Greece, he met with different people and churches, and he was saving up and telling them to save up money. He also did that in Turkey and Asia Minor and other places. And he was getting them to save money for Jerusalem because Jerusalem was part of an area which wasn't very rich. It was kind of poor. It was Judea. And not only that, Judea had a famine at the time. And what we have to realize is the church was kind of birthed in Jerusalem. This was at Pentecost after Jesus rose again. And uh, unfortunately, persecution broke out in Jerusalem. So disciples and Jesus followers like left the place, left the area and kind of spread the gospel. And so Paul was really concerned with the biblical principle of giving to the poor, to the needy. But there was something else he was really obsessed about. And that was the church of Jesus being a Jewish and Gentile church. There was some sort of racial divides or religious divides. And Paul really cared about the unity of all believers because we all have one Christ. We all have one Savior. And there's only one church. And we're all baptized into one church, Jesus' church, although there are families, okay? So this is what... Paul was getting at. He wanted the people to give to the poor and give to the needy, but also care about the church of God worldwide, and so the Jerusalem church. And so Paul was trying to get people to save up money to give, and this money would be given to Jerusalem when Paul came back around. Now, here's the thing. When we think of money transfers today, you probably think of your mobile phone and an app. You can literally type it in, and money is sent across the world or across to a student up north in like a manner of moments. Ten years ago, when I was a student, my dad would send me money, and I'd be spending that money within the hour. I would be at a supermarket. I'd be buying food. Back then, they didn't have apps or phones or even a centralized banking system. In fact, they didn't even have cash or checks. They had hardcore coin, weighty money. People don't even know what that is today, but they're these round, shiny things, okay? And you can spend them sometimes, <laughs> cashless and all that. But anyway, so what happened was Paul would ask the churches, they'd get a sum of money, and then they'd, um, they'd basically reduce that down into some high uh, earning currency coins, and then an entourage of people who are trustworthy would carry it to the place where need be. So if you check the screens, there is a, uh, here's a slide showing Corinth is in Greece, Ephesus, that's in Turkey, that's where Paul has sent the letter from, and Paul's going to be doing a journey, but an entourage is going to bring it way down here to Jerusalem. So th th this is what I just wanted to pull out here, because you think of transferring money, we think, yeah, easy. This is how committed Paul is, and he's asking other people to take this journey. And whether it's by land or sea, it's long, it's difficult. But for the sake of caring for the poor and the unity of the church, caring for the church, this is what Paul writes about. It's that, in, in fact, it's just God's nature. 
Now, when we look in verses 2 right through to 4, what we'll see is some practical directions here. So Paul says when to give. Give the first day of the week. Now, back then in their culture, it had actually progressed now that the first day of the week was Sunday. Sunday was actually a meeting day where they'd have their worship, they'd come together, and as part of their worship, they were asking for a collection to give. Now, this is an old school principle. This is an Old Testament principle. We're not talking tithe here, but what we're talking about is the principle of giving what you have as first fruits. Remember, the beginning of the week, not what's left over. We have this saying in church, give what's right, although that's your right, isn't it? Not what's left right? Give God glory. Give him what he's rightfully due, deserved of, rather than giving him, oh, what have I got left at the end of the week? Scrabbling, oh, do I want that for a takeaway though? You see, those kind of things, those processes. No, we want to give God our best. Give at the beginning of the week. Weekly was the principle here. I know we talk monthly. Don't get too bogged up by that, but we meet as a church family weekly. So then he said, who's to give then? Who's to give? And it says each one of you. So he wasn't just picking out certain people in the church he was expecting. Regardless of the earnings or what people had, he was saying each one of you who earns a wage, he says, give us some of it. So when we ask what, he doesn't even say a percentage. He doesn't say a number. And that can be quite difficult because we would like to put a percent on it. And uh, I'm not going to do that because I don't see it here. But there's an expectation to give. And actually, Paul then writes a second letter to the Corinthians where he writes a bit more about giving because maybe they didn't get it at first. So we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to read this to you from chapter 9. It says this about giving in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you are abound in every good work. Again, he doesn't give you uh, a figure, but he's asking you to take that to the Lord. Give. And give to the Lord as you'd expect him to give unto you. He's so good to us. Now, we don't want to always talk about money in this way. But because this has come up in the scriptures, I thought it'd help you all to see a bit more into the life of Wellspring. How we give and what we're giving weekly to or what your money goes towards. So every week, every week... £5,000 goes towards community transformation, towards discipleship, pastoral care, children's and youth work, mental health and wellness, the staff that help provide that and make that happen, even using this building. On top of that, 2.5K a week just makes this run. That's what it costs to run this building, but also so that we can facilitate all sorts of community groups and uh, initiatives to work and use the building, including the food bank who uses it Monday to Friday, you know, 2 to 4 p.m., helping the poor, giving to the needy. So that's us, like, just looking in here. Now go locally. Every week we give £140 uh, towards other initiatives, which makes it about £600. Uh, pounds a month, which is £7,000 locally we give a year. These are charities to do with the homeless, okay, to do with the poor, 
to do with education, to do with the needy. You can find these all on our website, but that is what your money is going towards, just in our locality. Okay, now we're going to go a bit further, internationally and nationally. Now, what I've said, we give out of relationship, and we don't currently have a relationship with the church in Jerusalem. God hasn't opened that door to us, but God cares about other places too, and this is where we're investing into. This is where God has led us to at this point. And so many of you will know about the Ukraine, right? We gave £3,000 to the Ukraine when the first kind of wave hit, and we, we, we talked about that and gave offerings towards that. Now, we've also worked out in the last 18 months, we've given to Yemen, the company's called Bridge of Hope. We've given to the Afghan refugees who've come to Watford. We've given them money as well. You may remember that. We give to Syrian refugees who are actually stationed in Lebanon. So we've given money to that. Any of you remember the Lebanon um, explosion that happened earlier on this year? We give money into that as a response to the crisis there. And some of these things... What they work out of is that's £200 a week, £10,000 a year we give as special one-offs, if you think, to other organisations or to these areas of crisis. We give out a relationship and we respond to emergencies and we do that through relationship, okay? It's important to say that. So through Assemblies of God, through the Evangelical Alliance, through Christians across Watford, through even East-West Ministries, money is given out. Okay, so this is what, just trying to be open to you, what Wellspring give. And what you need to know is none of the leaders, myself, Tim, the trustees, we don't know who gives what and when they give it. There is a small team, a finance team, who's entrusted with all those details. So that is just being open to you and caring about the nature of how we do things right. And finally, to say, these are the things we're doing, but we also have plans, not just plans, but prophetic plans that God has laid on our heart. We've been entrusted this land, and we are believing for the extension of this building called Extend, because God is giving us the opportunity to transform lives in a bigger impact than we even can see right now, but we're believing for it. And that's what money will be going towards as well as we've taken up offerings there. So there you go, Wellspring Church. That is what you're giving to when you're giving to us. You're giving to Christ and you're giving to his church. Right, enough about Wellspring Church. Let's talk about God then, shall we? Because it's always good to look at God as the giver, right? God is so generous. He's so open-handed to all of you. Not just his favorites. There aren't no favorites. It's not just the ministers. It's not just the people on stage. To every and each and every one of us, God is open-handed. You know, God the Father, he created everything, everything in existence. He loves all that is created, calls it good. And he gives us life. And then he gives us this world to look after, all gifts from him. And then even because of sin, we mess it up and our selfishness and all that goes on. The Father gives his son to us to solve the issue. The son comes and gives us the good news. In fact, he is the good news. He gives up his life. He dies and rises again and gives us righteousness. His righteousness. The righteousness he's lived. Not ours. None of us ever got that, but he's given it to us. And I do believe some people need to hear that today. You are forgiven, but you've also got God's righteousness in your life. Stop living in shame 
and guilt because you have God's righteousness in your life. And he does not want you to live in sin and shame. Okay? Now, on top of that, Jesus then, when he rises uh, from, uh, from the dead, then goes up to heaven and he's seated on the right-hand side of the Father. He gives us the Holy Spirit. So not only is he giving us righteousness, that's a pretty good gig as it is, he gives us his Holy Spirit. The very presence of God is given to all who confess Jesus is King and Lord. Amazing. But then the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, gives us gifts. We talked about that in the previous week, spiritual gifts. So not only do we have his presence, we have all these kind of supernatural powers amongst the church family to see God move. And then just in, if that wasn't enough, we get the fruit of the Spirit, which means we get to live lives that actually the God in us produces fruit, good fruit in us, because we are living following Jesus. Can, does anybody convince that God is good? Does anybody convince that God is a good giver, that he's generous, that he's open-handed? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what. It's so good to know that now, but when we leave this place, and I know through our lives, when we go through ups and downs, it's really important, really, really important that you tell yourself these things. Remind yourselves of the truth that you've confessed in the gathering. Remind yourself that God is good, and he always gives. He's such a good giver. When times are hard, because we do fall upon difficult times, but encourage yourself, build yourself in the word and in the faith and in the scriptures from page, well, not just page to page, but as uh, Richard said, from cover to cover, know that, get that in you, because there will be times when we're discouraged, but the word of God will want to lead us into all righteousness of what God has and who God is. Can I get an amen? Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, we've talked about God. And we've talked about giving, and we have talked about the financial side. I just want to talk about giving as a principle. Tim mentioned it last week. You may have heard it. He talked about time, talked about talents, and he talked about treasure. When we talk about giving, we don't just need to talk about money and finances. There's a whole bunch of things that we can give, and which expresses God's heart. But it's really important. One thing I wanted to pick up on is the most valuable treasure you have in this life is actually Jesus, and you can give Jesus away. You can give your time away. You can give your talent away. You can give what is closest and what you treasure, but give it away. It's the principle of Jesus. You see it in the scriptures. Well, that's why we kept reading, but we hear about Paul. We hear about Timothy. We hear about Apollos. They gave their lives to serve, and they served within the opportunities that was presented to them. So I think what we'll do, just to finish, it's always good to look to Jesus. Let's see an example of Jesus and how he gave and continues to give. And I mean, when you look in the Gospels, every story about Jesus, he's just giving, he's just giving. But a really important one to us, at least here at Wellspring, because it has some prophetic significance, is from John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. What you'll see, you can turn to it if you'd like, but I'm just going to run through it quickly for you. Jesus is on the way to Galilee. And uh, he's tired, he's hungry, it's the middle of the day, it's noon, and he's left by a well. The disciples have gone off to go get food from the nearest village, and a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well. We have to understand, back then, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, there's these racial divides, and uh, really... For Jesus and a Samaritan woman, they're right at the ends of the spectrum in some sense, right? They shouldn't hang out. They shouldn't even talk. And this is part of her reason she was going out in the middle of the day. Not only that, so there was the Jesus and the Samaritan issue, but actually the Samaritan in her own community was actually singled out. 
That's why she was going in the heat of the day. What we'll see is she was living in shame because she'd had five husbands and even the partner she was living with was not her husband. And here she meets Jesus. And Jesus engages in a conversation with her. And if you read through the text, you can actually see the woman tries to steer the conversation away from what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus, in his grace, he humors her, goes with the conversation, but brings it back round to share the truth. And he reveals something so important. He says to her that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is coming to die and rise again so that we could believe. And he even says those who will worship will worship in spirit and in truth. Interesting. It was about a location. They had a conversation about a location of worship. God, Jesus mentions the spirit. You will worship anywhere by the spirit. And in truth, she was coming out in shame to pick up water. Now he's saying you will worship with no shame, no guilt. The goodness of Jesus. Three things to point out from this brief little encounter. Jesus took the opportunity. When we have opportunities, we always think of reasons and excuses not to take them. We have opposition, internally and externally. Jesus could be, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I shouldn't really speak to this woman, I've got nobody around me, it could look dodge. And uh, he speaks to her, he engages her, he's so full of grace and love towards her. Do you know God, Jesus, takes every opportunity with us. Any opportunity you give him, I believe, Jesus will want to speak to you, converse with you, share himself with you. He hasn't got excuses why not to speak with you. We come up with the excuses for him. Don't come near me, Jesus. Oh, don't, don't engage with me. But Jesus wants to. He longs to. He's so favorable towards you. He's so keen on you. Take the opportunity. And we get to do this, not simply taking the opportunity in this life with other people, but we get to take it with him as well because he's a living God. He's alive today. We take opportunities, not alone, and not simply for him, but with him. The next thing I want to say is he sees the opportunity as a privilege. So many of us, we see opportunities as problems. And what's worse, we see these problems as somebody else has got to sort out the problem. This is somebody else's problem. Sort it out. God didn't think, oh, these people here, there's a problem they need to get on it. They need to fix it themselves. Jesus Christ himself, he took it as a privilege to save and speak to that woman. And he does so for each and every one of us. He sees it as a privilege. Just think, like, I'll use me because I don't want to offend you. But me, how Jesus, the king of heaven, thinks it's a privilege to not only save me, but walk with me day by day. And then here's the opportunity we get. In an opportunity, we get the privilege of walking with Jesus. And I wanted to share this quickly with you from 2 Corinthians verse 8. Just to help you understand the privilege, the privilege we have of just having Jesus in our life. Chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We forget what we have in Jesus a lot of the time. We really do. And Jesus wants to encourage us with every opportunity. We have the privilege of sharing it with him and sharing him with others. The final thing of the uh, privilege is Jesus saw not only a privilege, but he saw his responsibility. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to be the Messiah. He came to die and rise again so that we can be forgiven, so that we could have his righteousness. It's all in the baptismal kind of story and uh, the metaphor there. 
Jesus with this woman at the well. He takes responsibility and he loves on her and shares on her. And he doesn't hold back. He tells her the truth, but he tells her the truth in love and shares that he is the Messiah. I can't go into the rest of the story, but she's completely freed and goes into her village and shares unashamedly, all of it, like not hiding, but now sharing with everybody about her experience with Christ Jesus and bringing them, bringing them to know Christ Jesus and to meet Christ Jesus for themselves. Jesus took the opportunity, didn't come up with excuses. He took the opportunity as a privilege didn't see it as somebody else's problem to solve. And he took that privilege to realize that was his responsibility. You know, church, we have a responsibility. Christ actually calls us his ambassadors. So I know we use these titles of reverend and minister, but the truth is the Bible teaches us and Jesus calls us all to be ministers. And we get to share and love the body. And this is something, particularly on this house, I believe God's leading us on, is that we are a priesthood of all believers. That means we all minister in our various capacities. And uh, it's a joy to find those out together and serve one another. And again, that just emphasizes the unity in the church. Let's finish off with those uh, short verses, 13 and 14, from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 13, it says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. This is kind of like talking to a soldier, this kind of language. But I want to just liken it back. I know we've been talking about giving, but think about giving, but also think about just following Jesus. It says, be on your guard. Now, I said it in a positive way. Check out the opportunities. But also, don't miss when opportunities from the world, the world uses opportunities, or we can grab hold of the world and take that culture in and think that's the way we're supposed to do life. Remember the context of this book, this letter. Paul was saying the world was infiltrating the church. We must stand our guard. We must live by the principles of following Jesus rather than following the world. We must take the opportunity with Jesus. The second point here, you see, stand firm in the faith. Don't forget your privilege. Don't forget your faith. Don't forget Jesus in your life. Don't forget all that he has for you. If you stand in that privilege, if you recognize that, and that's why it's so good to meet weekly or even outside of the weekly, but have relationships, real relationships with one another. You hold one another to account. You call out the word in one another. You speak truth over each other. You stand firm with what you have, the ground that God has given you. And then finally, remember responsibility. Be bold, be courageous, be brave, whatever translation you have, and be strong. In your responsibility of being Christ's ambassadors to share his love, recognize actually you do that not simply for him, but with him. That's something I'm relating to at the moment. I know he's the king and I know everything we do is for him. But God is really helping me understand that it's a joy to serve with him. He loves to and he aligns us together to do so. I'll finish with a quick testimony of when I've given an excuse when I didn't take the opportunity, when I didn't seize the moment. A few weeks ago, we did, um, well, we do this once a month. We get an opportunity to share with people in the town centre and pray for them. And I was walking up the high street with a friend, Babs. He's here today. And um, I saw somebody on, a part, on one of the benches, and I felt in my spirit I needed to talk to them. But I just, 
I saw he was eating. You don't want to disturb somebody when he was eating. And I think he was eating noodles, so that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't have gone down well. So I, we just carried on walking, and we got to the top of town, and I, I, I told Babs, I think, oh, Babs, I think I missed an opportunity. I think God was actually asking me to speak to that person, but I made excuses. So I said, look, when we walk back down, we'll talk to him. Walk back down, and he wasn't there. Now, I can understand us having something similar. We're like, oh, we missed it. We lost it. Self-condemnation, guilt, shame, I don't know, and you walk on. But I said to Babs, I said, okay, I admitted, oh, it's a shame. But all right, let that be a learning. Let that be a lesson to me. We kept on walking, and there was another person on a bench, and he had a meal deal, I think. (laughs) I think I was attracted to the food. Maybe it wasn't the spirit, but... But this is the thing, I, immediately I was like, God, that's unfair. The other person just had noodles. This guy's got three things to eat for £3.50, and I don't know. But I felt God say, do it. And Babs, you know, a good brother and, and, and being around Christian people and family, he, he could hold me to account. Now, he didn't wave his finger at me, but I knew I'd, I'd already confessed to him, we're going to learn, I'm going to learn from that. And during the conversation, it got to the point, during the conversation, the guy didn't eat, he sat with us, Me and Bab sat on either side of him, and we shared the gospel with him. Now, the truth is, we'd love to hear the story that he gave his life to Jesus and said a prayer, and, you know, he's coming along, but he didn't. But I know that we were obedient, and I know we took the opportunity, and that's all God asked for. Don't be so consumed by the outcome of an opportunity that you forget obedience. Obedience is key in following Jesus. So finally, I end do everything in love. The way of love is to follow Jesus. If we want to live for Jesus, if we want to live like Jesus, we've got to give like Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we get to live life with you for you. And I pray, Lord God, whatever has been said through this time, Lord God, it would be your words that stick and that you would lead and guide us into the fullness of your plan for each of us personally, but also as a church family. Help us to live following Christ. Amen.